Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. So, whoa, hello. So this uh, this week, actually tomorrow, I'm uh, leaving for Mexico for a little bit over a week. I'm going to be there until uh, the Tuesday after the, so a week and a day, basically, I'm going to be gone. And my plan is, my the, the purpose for me going to Mexico is to work on my teeth. It's actually a lot cheaper to fly to Mexico and get your teeth worked on and, and fly back then then get your teeth worked here. So if anyone wants to take a uh, Mexico teeth care tour, just let me know and, and we can work something out uh, at another time. But uh, of course, when, when my parents, you know, I'm going to be staying with my parents. And when my dad heard that I was going, he asked me to uh, to teach a class uh, to to a group of men that he is training. Some of them are already elders at the church. Some of them are uh, in training to become elders. But these are the men that are going to be in leadership uh, when my dad retires in August. So he asked me to go there and, and teach a class on uh, uh, studying the Bible and preaching the Bible. And he also asked me to preach uh, on on that Sunday that I'm going to be there. So I would appreciate your prayers for my time there in Mexico. I hope that the, that the work that they do on my teeth is not as crazy and intense that it would make the preparation for teaching those classes too difficult. Uh, the doctor told me, you know, when I told him kind of what I wanted, what I needed, the doctor told me that uh, he's probably going to have to see me every day that I'm there. So we'll see what happens. Um, and I would appreciate your prayers for that. Uh, so Jordan is going to be preaching next week, and because we always move around things here with uh, with the preaching schedule, I usually say we're going to do something, but then sometimes I split it into two sections, and so the schedule en- ends up getting messed up. So Jordan is actually going to preach on the church of uh, Thyatira, no, Pergamum, <laughs> Pergamum. So we're going to skip Smyrna, and then when I come back, I'm going to preach uh, Smyrna after, after we go through Pergamum. So we're going to skip one and then go back. Um, but we're, we're going to go through all of the churches, Lord willing. Um, and today we are, uh, we're going to look at the church, uh, or at the, at the message to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus. So let's uh, open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. And let's, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the privilege of opening your word. We thank you for this revelation that was given to John and that he uh, gave to the 
to the churches in, in, uh, in Asia Minor. Thank you that we have this message today. Thank you that your word is alive. Your word is uh, the two-edged sword that comes out of your mouth, Lord Jesus. And we pray that you speak to us through your word, by your spirit. We pray that you uh, fill us with your spirit to understand, to hear the things that the spirit has to say to us. I pray that you give us uh, soft hearts to hear what you have to say. And we pray that the name of your son, Jesus, would be glorified in this message, that the name of your son, Jesus, would be glorified in everything we do, not just in this gathering, but every day throughout the week. Please empower me by your spirit to proclaim your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's read uh, Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And I, I will ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. Revelation 2, verse 1 says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patient, sorry, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So it seems to me that among churches, among Christians, at least here in the U.S., I'm, I'm speaking from my limited experience, it seems to me that oftentimes sound doctrine, uh, zeal for sound doctrine, for, for good teaching, for, for good biblical teaching of the Word of God is often uh, contrasted with a lack of love for people. In other words, there's this false dichotomy that, that basically states that you either have love for people, you either are a very loving church or you either are a church that has zeal for sound doctrine. 
But oftentimes, I don't know, I don't know exactly why it would seem that those who have zeal for sound doctrine are sometimes known as unloving, are sometimes known as uh, um, intolerant, right? People who who just don't love others. And then sometimes it seems that those who are known for being loving and welcoming and 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 uh, you know having all those traits. Sometimes they are known for being light on, on doctrine, on uh, teaching. Is this, is this mic still on? Okay. Okay. So, are we good with the sound? Yeah. Okay. Um, so you know, it it seems like there's this false dichotomy between these two things. But in this le- in in the message to this letter, this message from Christ, we're actually going to see that these two things are not self-exclusive. In fact, these two things should be present in every single church. And in this particular letter, Jesus commands the church for them being strong on one area, but he also condemns them or or gives them a warning for them being weak on a different area. These two things are things that should coexist. But before we get into that, into the, the, the meat of this passage, uh, I just want to go through the introduction and, and hear, this is the message that Jesus has. He says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. So he's writing to the church in Ephesus. It, there are seven churches. It, it would seem more likely that these churches are ordered in geographical order. It seems that uh, the way that these these or the way that this letter would have been delivered, it should it, it would have been geographically, um, and so the church of Ephesus was the the first one, and the church of Ephesus was also arguably one of the most important churches in the early church, if not the most important. This is the church where uh, Paul had somewhat of a of a training school for for people in in leadership. This is the church. Uh, uh, whose elders Paul met with to say his farewell and to, to charge them to hold on to sound doctrine and to love, etc. Uh, this is a church that, that Paul sent Timothy to. He sent him to Ephesus. This is a church that John arguably wrote his three epistles to. First, second, and third John were probably written to the church of Ephesus. And this, this church is also addressed here in the book of Revelation. So this is a really important church. It's a really influential church. It was probably the first church planted in Asia Minor, and it was probably the church where all the other churches were planted. So this is, you know, this is a really important church. And this is the message that Jesus sends them. He says, The word of him who holds the seven stars. Remember that the seven stars are the seven angels or the seven messengers in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And remember that the golden lampstands are the seven churches. So even though this message is directed to the church of Ephesus, Jesus right there is reminding them that he is the one who walks among all seven churches. And therefore, Jesus is the one who walks among all of the churches. Wherever there is a church of Christ, Wherever there is a church where the Holy Spirit is present, Jesus is there walking among the lampstands. However 
weak the church is, however loving the church is, however uh, sound on doctrine or, or bad on doctrine, Jesus is walking amongst the churches. And so he tells them, this is something that he's going to tell every single church, this little formula. He says, I know your, and then he goes on to tell them what he knows about them. For many of them is, I know your works. For some of them is, I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. I know where you dwell. Uh, I know your works. I know your works. So the, most of these churches, actually all of these churches, are heavily judged on their works, on what they do. Of course, they are judged on what they believe or what they say they believe. But one thing that we need to understand is that whatever you believe is going to dictate what you do. The things that you believe, you are going to act and do works based on what you believe. And so in this case, Jesus is stating that he knows their works. And he says, I know your works, I know your toil, and your patient endurance. This church is praised and commended because of their toil, because of their hard work, because of their, their even suffering for the gospel, right? In verse 3, it says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So we don't know exactly what they were enduring. We don't know exactly what was their toil, but we know that it was for the sake of Jesus' name. So it was probably some sort of persecution. It was probably some sort of rejection. And we're going to get a little more details into, into maybe what they were toiling for. But we do know, even though we don't have a lot of details, we do know that this church was a hard-working church. It was a church that was laboring. It was a church that, that was being patient, that was working hard, that was having endurance. And so I think this is a good, uh, uh, it, is, it is a good time for us to just take a minute and wonder, what about us? What about Kaleo? If, if the Lord were to write a letter to us, would he say, I know your toil. I know your patient endurance. I know that you've been working really hard. I know that you have been enduring persecution. I know that you are bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. Is this something that Jesus would say of us? Or would he say, yeah, you're, you're kind of a lazy church. You are way too comfortable. You are letting, instead of enduring persecution, instead of resisting the world, you're actually letting the world enter, the, the influence of the world, the influence of this system enter into the church. So, you know, just something to think about. But he tells them, going back to verse 2, he says, I know your works, I know your toil, I know your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. And later he says in verse 6, Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. 
So there are only two specific commendations that are given to this church. And by, by specific, I mean, right, Jesus says, I know your toil, I know your patient endurance, I know these things, but again, we don't have a lot of details on what this toil and endurance is. But he does have two very specific good things to say about them. He says, you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. And you hate the works of the Nicolaitans. Those two things are not things that are very popular in a lot of churches today. Not a lot of churches would put on their website, we are really good at testing false prophets. Come visit us. Come visit us. We hate the works of the Nicolaitans. Or come visit us. We hate whatever false teaching is happening at the time. That's not a very popular thing today. I haven't seen a lot of church uh, mission statements saying our mission is to make sure that there is no false teaching in our church. It's to make sure that those who call themselves false apostles are not infiltrating their teaching into our church. But these are the two things that Jesus commands the church for. He tells them, I know your works. I know, I, I commend you for exercising your judgment and your discernment. And I commend you because you do not tolerate, you do not bear with those who are evil. So being intolerant to evil is not a bad thing. Being intolerant of false teaching is not something that we should shy away from. This is something that Jesus commends. This is something that Jesus praises from this church. Now, let us remember the words that, that Paul writes to the Galatians, right? He tells them, you have to bear the burdens of those who are weak. So let us just make sure that we understand the distinction between those who are weak and those who are evil. There are weak people in our church. There will always be believers who are weak, who are struggling, who are struggling with sin, who are struggling with temptation, who are struggling with uh, uh, behavior that they've, been, that, that they've had for, for all of their lives. And we as believers need to be able to differentiate between those who are evil and those who are weak. For those who are weak, we are supposed to bear their burdens with them. But for those who are evil, for those who really mean no good, for those who are tolerating sin in their lives and they're unrepentant, for those who are bringing false teaching, for those who are evil, we are not su supposed to tolerate those. And I don't think it's talking here about unbelievers who walk into the church. If an unbeliever walks into a church gathering, I think we should welcome them and we should proclaim the gospel to them. Right? It's not saying here, oh, you know, there's an unbeliever walking in, so, you know, evil person alert, let's, let's get him out of our congregation. No, no, that's not the point. I think he's talking about those who are, have infiltrated the church, those who are within the church, but are evil. They have evil motives. They want to destroy the church. And we have more specific. It says, 
You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. So it could be that these evil people are the same as these false apostles. It could be that they're two different groups. But I, I, it seems to make a little bit of sense that they're, they are connected. And so these evil people perhaps are false apostles. They were probably people that were coming into the church and they were, they were proclaiming to have a certain authority that they received supposedly from Christ. And they were bringing teaching that was false. Teaching that was contrary to the apostolic teaching. Teaching that was contrary to the teaching of Christ. And so, one thing that happens over and over is that whenever a false teacher, whenever a false prophet comes and they have a, a, a very charismatic personality and they uh, are really good with words and rhetoric, a lot of people tend to be impressed by them. A lot of people tend to, to go and listen to their teaching and, and, and uh, start to really take in and accept everything that they're saying without testing it. I have experienced this. I've, I've been in groups, in, in, in gatherings of pastors who, ha- who are gathered together, listen to a false teacher. And sometimes I'm like, man, I'm like, actually, one time I, I, w- I wonder, like, is there something wrong with me? Like, I, I, do I not have the spirit or, or what's going on? Because everyone is just like completely like enamored with this speaker. Like some people are even, you know, shedding a tear or two. And I'm just wondering, like, what is going on? Like, does, does no one have discernment? And, you know, I'm not saying this to, to like tell you, hey, look at me. I'm like. Mr. Discernment here, I'm telling you this to, to communicate that false teachers are deceitful. That false teachers have an appearance of good. That false teachers claim to be sent, apostles sent from Christ. And that we have to be careful and we have to test those who claim to come from God. We cannot just rant, you know, freely and, and openly accept the teaching of anyone who calls themselves an apostle or someone who is sent by God. We cannot just randomly accept it and be like, oh, yeah, you know, they come from God. Look, they have these credentials, so we should listen to them. No, I think we need to test them. We need to test their character. We need to test their teaching. And we should not be afraid to call them out if they turn out to be false. We should not be afraid to reject them if they are false. Jesus tells them, yet this you have, verse 6, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Hate is such a strong word, especially today, right? Everyone is a, a hater of something. Even those who accuse others of being haters. They hate haters. Or, you know, it's just, it's kind of like this, like, yeah, no, anyway, I'm not, I'm not even going to get there. Uh, but here, Jesus is commending this church for hating 
And Jesus is saying, I actually also hate this thing that you hate. What is it what, that Jesus hates and that the Ephesians hated? They hated the works of the Nicolaitans. Now, the Nicolaitans, this is, uh, this is pretty complicated, but the short, the short answer is we don't know who the Nicolaitans are. Uh, there are like way too many opinions on who the Nicolaitans were. Uh, I think all of them, all of them at least come to the conclusion that the Nicolaitans were probably some people, some sort of sect or cult or or people that were within the church, but they were teaching antinomianism. In other words, they were teaching uh, uh, taking the law of God lightly or completely rejecting the law of God. They were basically teaching some sort of cheap grace, some sort of, oh, you know, as long as you believe in Jesus, uh, you're fine. You don't have to you don't have to uh, keep yourself from the food sacrifice to the idols. You don't have to keep yourself from sexual immorality. You can go to the temple of Artemis and practice immorality. You're still good. So these Nicolaitans were people that were bringing in the sins of the world, the influence of the world into the church, and they were normalizing it. We're going to hear a little bit more about them uh, when we talk about the church of Pergamum. But the thing is, the Ephesians received this commendation for hating the works of the Nicolaitans. And remember what I told you. Remember that whatever we believe has a direct influence on how we act. Our doctrine, what we believe, affects our works, our practice. And so these Nicolaitans, their teaching was messed up. These false prophets, their teaching, or false apostles, their teaching was messed up. And because their teaching, because their doctrine was wrong, therefore their works were sinful. The works were bad. And so the Ephesians, they hated these works. So this is a good thing. It is good for us to hate the works of evil. Don't be afraid of the word hate as long as the, the object of that hatred is the right object. It is completely right. It is, it is a good thing. It is something that Jesus commends the church for, hating the works that result from bad teaching. Now, Despite all of the all of these things that Jesus commands the church for, he does have one thing against them. And even though it is one thing, this is no simple thing. This is no minor detail here. It's not like, hey, you guys are doing great. You have, you know, this little thing here. Just, you know, keep an eye on that and, and press on. No, this is a big deal what Jesus has against them. In verse 4, he says, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. We don't have a lot of details as to what exactly he is talking about. 
But just looking at the, at the message to the church and looking at this dichotomy that I gave you at first, think about the churches that's, that are more known for their zeal for sound teaching, for right doctrine. Think about those churches. One of the struggles that many of these churches or many of these people, many of these teachers have is in their zeal for sound doctrine, in their hatred for the works of evil, sometimes they end up not being loving. They end up abandoning the love for God that they had. They end up abandoning the love for one another that they had. Now remember, love and sound doctrine are not self-exclusive, right? The solution to the problem of a lack of love is not, oh, you know, let's just abandon all sound doctrine. Let's just say everyone is welcome no matter what you believe, no matter what you teach, no matter how you live. Everyone is welcome because we are a loving church. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying, all right, the solution to your problem is abandon sound doctrine altogether. No. He commends them for that. But they need to add the love that they originally had to their zeal for sound doctrine. They need to make sure that in hating the works of the Nicolaitans, they need to make sure that in testing those who call themselves apostles, they have not forgotten to love their fellow brothers and sisters. They have not forgotten to love the Lord God. They have not forgotten to love even their enemies, right? That's what Jesus told us, love your enemies. So the solution, the, the, the prescription that God, that Jesus gives them is verse 5. Remember. Therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. So they are called to remember from where they have fallen. They're supposed, they, they are called to look back into, you know, from the moment they were saved and, and their, their life as believers. And they are supposed to remember at what point did they stop loving the Lord? At what point did their love for God grow, grew cold? At what point did their love for their brothers and sisters grew cold? Think about this. This, this happens all the time. You have a new believer. A new believer is so in love with God and is so thankful for their salvation and loves everyone. And, you know, maybe they're not as, as, as uh, uh, strong in, in doctrine and their knowledge of, of all of, you know, the Lord's teaching, but they are full of love. They're full of love for God, for others, for everyone. But what is it that the more some people grow in their knowledge of doctrine. The more people grow in their knowledge of the teaching of Christ, the teaching of the Bible, some people start looking down on others. 
There are a lot of uh, jokes that are made about maybe, you know, seminary students. Like, you, you don't want to have an argument with a first-year seminary student. Because they think they know everything. They think they, they, they know everything and, and, and they don't want to, you know, they, they're, they're going to destroy every single argument that you have. There's another joke that whenever someone discovers a new, it's a joke specifically about Calvinism, but whenever someone becomes a Calvinist, you have to lock them down for two years. But why is this? I mean, if we really are understanding the Word of God, if we really are understanding the doctrine of God, why is it that our temptation is a lack of love? I think a possible answer is, well, you know, maybe Satan knows that he cannot tempt, that, that he's not going to have a lot of success trying to tempt us into false doctrine. So maybe he's going to tempt us into abandoning the love that we had at first. And so we are supposed to look back. We are supposed to remember, when was it that my love started growing cold? And then we need to repent. We need to stop that unloving behavior. We need to turn back to the Lord. We need to ask for his forgiveness. We need to pray and say, Lord, forgive me for my lack of love for you and for my brothers and sisters. And then we need to do the works that we did at first. Remember, we read at the, at the beginning of this book, It says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. So it is not enough to look back and say, okay, yes, this is where I fell. It is not enough to say, okay, yes, Lord, I repent if you do not go back and do the works that you did at first. It is not enough to just agree Consciously, mentally, and say, oh, yeah, you know, I agree. This is definitely something that I'm failing in. If you do not act on it, if you do not ask for the Lord's forgiveness and go on and love him and love your brothers and sisters and love your enemies. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. <laughs> so notice that even though this message is specifically addressed to the church of Ephesus. Really, this message is for all the churches, for the seven churches. And ultimately, it is for the church. This is a message that each one of us should look into and say, this message is for us as a church. Obviously, no, I, there are a lot of details and things that do not pertain specifically to us. But we need to look at all of these letters and say, how is the Spirit of God speaking To me, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So in this case, conquering for this church meant to go back to their first love. Conquering for this church meant remembering where they had fallen repenting, 
and doing the works that they did at first. And sorry, I skipped. Second half of verse 5 says, If not, if you do not remember, repent, and do the works, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So this thing that he had against them, their lack of love, was not just a minor thing, right? It was not just a minor thing that Jesus was like, that's okay, you, you know, just keep going. I see you. No. He says, if you do not repent, I am coming against you. I will, I will, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. This is a serious warning. This church is at risk of losing their church status. This church is at risk of losing their lampstand. Remember that the lampstand is what identified the churches. So in other words, Jesus is saying, if you do not repent of your lack of love, you are going to cease to be a church. Your existence as a church is going to cease. Sound doctrine is extremely important. We want to make sure that we are understanding and teaching and abiding by the sound doctrine of the Word of God. But love is also so important. Love is essential. Remember what Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 13? He tells them, If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. You can be the church with the soundest doctrine ever. You can be the church with the most zeal for sound teaching. You can be teaching all the right things. You can believe all the right things. But if you have not love, if we have not love, we are nothing as a church. And to this church, Jesus warns and says, if you do not repent, I will remove your lampstand from its place. Unfortunately, the church of Ephesus did cease to exist. They, it's, you know, the, the obvious conclusion is they did not repent. They did not go back to their first love. And eventually, they ceased to exist. And it seems like this was a struggle that, that they had all along. I mean, remember the letter that Paul writes to the Ephesians. He tells them, speak the truth in love. So this was probably a church that were all about the truth, which is good. It's a great thing. But they were supposed to speak the truth in love. Paul finishes his letter to the, to the Ephesians. By saying, peace be to you, brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. It's almost like Paul is trying to communicate something here. Love is so important. So he, the, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So when you go to the end of Revelation, it is said that there is a tree, that the tree of life is 
in the new Jerusalem. It is in the middle of the new Jerusalem. And we also learn that the new Jerusalem is the church. And we also learn that Christ is the one who walks among the seven lampstands. So this is a promise that he is giving to the church of Ephesus and, and really to, to anyone who has an ear to hear this. If you conquer, if you, go, if you repent from your lack of love and go back to the works you had at first, you will be there in the new Jerusalem. You will be there in the presence of God. You will be there, Jesus walking with us. This is a huge and beautiful promise for us. Being in the presence of the Lord. But imagine missing on that because of a lack of love. John writes, probably to the church of Ephesus in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. He says, And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God if we, lo if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. The great thing here is that we, don't, we are not just given this command to love and left without the power to do it. No, God is the one who initiated this love. God is the one who gave his son out of love. He is the one that exemplified this kind of love by sending his son. He is the one that empowered us to have this kind of love by saving us through the work of his son Jesus on the cross. And so we, as believers in Christ, we have his empowerment. We have his love his example, we have everything that we need to love one another. So if we have, if, if you identify this lack of love in you, in this church, I think we need to repent. I think we need to remember at what point did we cease to love God and love others? And we need to repent of that and we need to go back. To the works that we did first. If Jesus wrote a letter to this church, I think, you know, we, we really care about sound doctrine here. So I think that it would probably be similar in that sense. I know your works. I know that you te have tested other teachings and I know that you hate these works. But what would he say about our love? Would he say, yeah, this, you are also a loving church. You are a church that loves God, loves me. You are a church that loves 
one another. You are a church that loves the city in which I've placed you. You are a church that loves the lost. Would he say that? I pray that by the grace of God, we would grow in our love and yeah, that he would say that. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this message to the church of Ephesus. And thank you for all the implications that this message has for us. We thank you for giving your son Jesus, for showing us what love is. For showing us that we didn't love you first, but that you loved us first. And you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. Lord, I pray that we would abide in this gospel. That we would abide in the love that you gave us. That we would grow in our love for you. And that we would, we would grow in our love for one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.